Loss helps us define our lives. By allowing our grief to matter, we discover our own strengths and embrace our authentic selves. Welcome to Good Grief with your host, Cheryl Jones. Get ready to be inspired, to create a deeper life, to make your time on Earth much more meaningful. Now, here is Cheryl Jones. Hello, I'm Cheryl Jones, and I want to welcome you to Good Grief, where we talk each week about the transformations that can come from loss. Today, I'm welcoming Anthony Marnisi. Anthony is an instructor of religious studies at the University of Memphis, a certified life coach, chaplain, and the author of four other books and numerous academic pieces other than the one we'll be talking about today. Primarily a theological scholar with expertise in the intersections between sports and spirituality, Anthony received his master's from Christian Brothers University in Memphis, Memphis, Tennessee. He's also a 20-plus year cancer survivor, treated at St. Jude Children's Research Hospital, and remains active in advocacy for advancing cancer research, as well as in facilitating spiritual direction for persons affected by cancer. His book, Cross of a Different Kind, is about how to use Christian teachings to deal with cancer treatment, survivorship, and the grief that families experience when a loved one dies of cancer. Welcome, Anthony. Thank you, Ms. Cheryl. Thank you so much. And greetings to all of your listeners from the land of the Delta Blues, as we like to say, <laughs> Memphis, Tennessee, the birthplace of Elvis. I think I've I've interviewed a few other pe- people from Tennessee. Uh, absolutely, you know, absolutely. It's, and I've been there. I've, I've, I haven't been to. Uh, I, I I've only been to a few places. I was in Knoxville last fall. So, um, anyway, uh, I think you're just a, a splendid example of uh, something that uh, resonates for me a lot, which is the idea of post traumatic growth. That uh, I don't know if you know about that field, but the idea is that when trauma happens to us, uh, sometimes we grow, and um, it, especially if we're trying to, is what I, I yes, would like to say. Especially if we're putting the work into it. And so I wanted to start with your story. Twenty plus years surviving, of course, is is a big deal. I work in cancer a lot, so I know what a big deal that is. But um, I th- I think we we have to mention how old you were when you had cancer, uh, because the impact on uh, people who had cancer as kids and then grow up as survivors, I think, is appreciable. I know quite a few people in that circumstance. So can you just uh, lay out for the listeners a little bit about your story and how it led you where you are? Certainly. Yes, ma'am. I'd be happy to. So I was diagnosed when I was five years old, actually, uh, and so was referred to um, St. Jude Children's Research Hospital, which is, you know, truly a uh, a remarkable institution, a, a shining light, and it, it also calls, uh, you know, Memphis, Tennessee its home. Uh, and so was referred there uh, for my continual treatment, and I was treated actively from uh, age five to age seven and a half. So those would have been from uh, the years 1994 until uh, 1997, actually. So um, yeah, it was just a a little tyke actually when actually going through um, my my cancer experiences and and treatment, and so that certainly um, you know has kind of shaped my. 
my outlook and my, my disposition on, on many things and has kind of really fostered and encouraged my, my own kind of goals and desires to um, be a servant leader or, or help other people kind of uh, fulfill and maximize their, uh, their, their potential. You know, when you mentioned, um, you know, post-traumatic growth, as opposed to, uh, you know, post-traumatic stress. Well, you know, post-traumatic growth, you know, as, as you well know, is, a, is a, another way of, of responding to um, sort of, you know, stressful situations, post-traumatic stress disorder or something like that. Um, and and it, it reminded me when you mentioned it actually of um, the uh, great book by the Austrian psychiatrist, Viktor Frankl, uh, you know, who used his experiences in, um, the uh, Nazi death camps and, and the, the tragedy that he had to witness and go through um, to, you know, generate his own um, sort of logo therapy, his, his will to meaning, finding meaning and existence in, in through uh, difficult situations. And so I like to think that um, I've, I've attempted to do that. I, I probably not as successfully as, as, as him, uh, but that's kind of um, well, where, that's that's where kind like of the big. Cancer is a big deal, uh, but living through those camps, uh, he's definitely got the been there uh, credibility going on. Yes, if he could find uh, find his way to meeting meaning after that circumstance. uh, Of course, I know his work. Uh, It's a pretty good um, inspiration, maybe. Uh, for for people, and that's su- some of the purpose of this this show. Actually, is to inspire people that you can both have terrible experiences that that you're going to feel grief and pain about, but also that it's possible to make something out of it. So we're kind of on the same page on that one. But I have to imagine. Well, there's two things that come to mind. One is. Uh, one of the pri- having raised children, one of the primary things about that age group, five to seven and a half or so, is how very hardy they are. You know, they're going a mile a minute. <laughs> they're uh, they might get a cold now and then and lay low, but in general, it's a it's a very healthful time of life. And so, I would imagine if you're diagnosed that early. And you go through treatment, which of course knocks people over. It would lead to a less firm sense of your own uh, invulnerability, I guess. Or did it change your outlook on your own health once you return to a more healthy uh, state? One hundred percent, without a doubt, uh, it's definitely had that impact. And and you know, one of the things that um, I continue to speak with with you know a number of my survivor friends uh, about one in particular um, comes to mind. I remember having this conversation with her over lunch one day. Is how we always kind of in the back of our minds have that um, that fear, that sinking feeling of you know, could this could this come back, or when will this come back, or will we develop you know, a, a subsequent cancer um, or, or something of that nature. And I mean, and add to that, you know, some, some sort of um, emotional health kind of um, difficulties, uh, anxiety disorders that, you know, might result from um, being sort of watched under so close of a, a magnifying glass when, when younger. I mean, obviously, when you have no immune system and are going through 
um, you know, chemotherapy treatments, even even the slightest, you know, um, infection that may result in, you know, a, a sinus infection, a, a virus like a cold or something like that can absolutely, um, you know, decimate uh, or be fatal to someone that has, has no immune system. And so um, those those factors and, and things have certainly impacted, um, you know, me in, in a number of ways. And I know uh, certainly a number of my survivor friends believe that uh, it's impacted them uh, as well. Uh, of course, there are um, a number of, of positive ways that we can sort of uh, reorient or, or restructure those um, perhaps fears or um, uh, things that we might view as, as inadequacies um, compared to people maybe who haven't had to go through, uh, you know, an, an adverse experience such as cancer or something that is potentially uh, debilitating. What, one thing I did appreciate in your book is that even your even though you're you're coming from um, a very religious uh, perspective, um, you didn't imply in any way that people shouldn't feel what they feel, and uh, that is sort of a uh, that's that's a very important message. I know that often uh, in my experience, uh, people I've known have been kind of shamed for feeling bad about things you know well if you really had faith you 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 would just trust god or something <laughs> you know so i appreciated that there was room in what you were talking about for the fact that these things are hard for us as human beings and we have feelings about it uh, I would I would take the the daring step and and you know hopefully any of your um, listeners who are uh, of a fellow Christian persuasion uh, which is you know my background obviously won't be too dismayed by this but I would almost say that it's uh, not Christian to assert that someone should have more faith if they find themselves worried or troubled or something like that in fact some of the the guidance or the advice that we're given from the the exemplar in Christianity, you know, Jesus himself is, you know, let the worried come to me. So uh, that's certainly not something that uh, that I would <laughs> that I would ever uh, call <laughs> or, or say that no, people can't very... feel, you know, what they're feeling. That's that's uh, that's the heart of spirituality is feeling and, and thus relating to those feelings, uh, you know, to the divine, actually. Uh, it might be a good time for the reading. Of, uh, it's related to to grief, not just illness. Of course, illness is a grief, a loss of health, um, <clears throat> about weeping, um, <clears throat> because I think that does kind of capture what we're, what we're talking about, that we are invited to, to feel, even, yes, you know, and maybe not, I can, I can rule out that even though, and say, because, from your point of view, because uh, we're, Christian people are encouraged to uh, be Christ as much as possible. <laughs> that yes, uh, yes, there might of be course. a case to be made for. Um, uh, so, I mean, the the, one that, the, the excerpt um, that you're referring to actually comes from uh, the very first chapter, chapter one. So, the book is divided into um, in, into three parts. Those uh, the first part is for those experiencing grief. Um, and then the, the second part for those currently undergoing their diagnoses, and the third part is for survivors. And so from the, from the first part, 
This also comes from chapter one, which is called Only the Body, Not the Soul. Um, and here's uh, actually the, what, what some content from the book. Um, what none of us need right now, as well-intentioned as those who tell us may be, is to hear another tired cliché. Enough of the things will get better, you'll see them again one day, or at least they're not suffering anymore statements. Enough. People need to grieve, and that is perfectly normal, natural, and healthy. How quickly so many of us forget that even Jesus himself had to grieve. When one of his very best friends, Lazarus, died, the scriptures tell us Jesus wept which is John 11.35, and the, uh, the uh, um, writer of that particular gospel actually isolates that little three-word phrase, and Jesus wept, onto one single line to sort of emphasize it's important. Uh, the reading goes on to say, Weeping, I should note, is not the same as crying, is it? There is, as so many of us well know, a difference in intensity. We may shed some tears at a sad movie, but to weep... That is something profoundly deeper and more painful. Whether a death or a breakup, such a response, weeping, is not only allowed, but is perhaps one of the most intensely personal and powerful prayers a human being could offer to the divine. The psalmist even writes, tears are prayers too. They travel to God when we cannot even speak. That's from Psalm 56, 8. When, in fact, we cry or cry extremely, which is to weep, we are expressing from the innermost depths of our souls the very truth that the person over whom we shed our tears meant a great deal to us personally. We love, and note that we don't use the past tense loved there, we love those persons we have lost, and we miss their irreplaceable presence in our lives. According to Christian theology, because God is love himself, any sincere and meaningful expression of love, whether reciprocated or not, back to us by the object of our love and affection, there present is God, him or herself. You know, you, you, uh, what came to mind while I was listening, of course, I'd read that passage reading the book, but uh, I had a new thought about it, which is uh, I have a friend who... Uh, has been trained in an African tradition um, around grief. And in that tradition, when you cry, it is actually food for your ancestors, for the people that went before. It's considered that's, that's food. A, that's really beautiful. Isn't that beautiful? Uh, and really so you're, you're, uh, I thought of it when, you, uh, when the line came along about uh, it being a prayer to weep. Because uh, when I've worked with him, it most certainly is a prayer to weep. <laughs> That's the whole idea. Um, and so there's uh, kind of two very different avenues, but the same feeling of um, there's an honoring in, in, the, in the weeping. Absolutely. There's a, there's a quote that I saw, and I can't remember to whom it's attributed, but, but the quote ultimately says that, uh, our tears, our grief, is perhaps the last act of love we pay to those we've lost. So it's uh, it's truly a, a, a rather poignant realization, of course. I guess I also want to throw in that, uh, for instance, my wife died in 1995. That's, you know, over two decades ago. But there are moments when tears come again. 
And, I, you know, I'm very used to those tears. I just welcome them, you know, because it is part of my continuing connection to her. Uh, and, and uh, you know, the same with other people I've lost, my parents, friends. Um, it is part of our connection. We really are feeling the connection when that happens, aren't we? One hundred percent. Absolutely, we are. And I mean, it's it's of course a, a connection that transcends, um, you know, in, in, even even the, what would be considered to be the most malevolent force. It, it transcends, you know, even even death. We can't um, all of a sudden forget or or erase or negate the impact that the people that we you know love or have shared our life with um, have have actually occupied that, that great uh, importance in our life. Nothing, nothing ever obviates that, um, not, uh, not death, not distance, nothing like that. So, of course, um, that, that grieving and those tears um, is, a, is a way of, of maintaining um, that very vital and very important uh, connection. I mean, there, there is, of course, such a thing as, as um, you know, moving on and moving forward, and and to be you know uh, you know productive and uh, um, normally functioning human beings, that's important that we do so. But um, it's 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 not without um, worth in mentioning that there are parts and elements of our experiences, and especially the people that we that we love, that always remain part of us. We don't ever say goodbye to those. And that actually is, is more healthy. It's, it's something that in positive psychology we even refer to as, you know, meaning-making, uh, you know, being able to internalize that importance that a person has had in our lives and, and continue to carry it forward into new experiences as well. Such as writing books and, and uh, hosting radio shows and things. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes, ma'am. Right on point. Yes, ma'am. It's getting to be time for our first break. Uh, You know, just to circle back around to illness, that's also a loss of the person you were before that. And I think that can also continue to affect people in the same way, uh, you know, as a continuing grief and movement uh, as we go forward. I've seen that so many times working with people who who have uh, lived with cancer. Uh, so I think it's a similar philosophy maybe there. Yes, ma'am. People have to grieve uh, the, the sort of loss of, of their life prior to diagnosis because as as we uh, we both know from from not only maybe life experiences but but our similar uh, areas of work, um, you know, when when any time a person has to go through a a sudden and a and a great change to uh, a way that they they sort of became used to living a, a certain quality of life, there's a grieving that goes into that too. Obviously, a, a cancer patient uh, or someone that's going through treatments diagnoses may not be able to do. Uh, certain things or as many certain things as they were able to do and got used to doing prior to that. And so that there's a there's an element of grief um, that's necessary in in that as well to not only accept and internalize that, but but also to to find means to power through. 
Absolutely. Well, let's uh, let's continue with that when we get back. And listeners, you can find links to my website and social media at the Good Grief page at Voice America to like me on Facebook, follow me on Twitter. I'm doing a lot of, of uh, very different things out there. For instance, promoting a novel I wrote, uh, doing workshops and such. So please sign up for my email list so you can keep up to date on all of that. And to find Anthony Marnisi, you can go to a Marinese, A-M-A-R-A-N-I-S dot Wixsite dot com slash A-M-J-M or his Twitter address at A-Marinese. Be back soon. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. Have you stopped to think seriously about hypnosis? Hypnosis can set you on your way to better health, can free you from anxiety, phobias, and so much more. Join host Inez Simpson for Hypnosis Everywhere, Inez Simpson and the Simpson Protocol. This show is for anyone from the experienced hypnotist practitioner to the merely curious. Inez Simpson offers tools and insights from the whole world of hypnosis with guests and open discussions. Hypnosis Everywhere, the Simpson Protocol, airs live every Wednesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Health and Wellness. What sets apart VoiceAmerica.tv from the other video content providers on the Internet? Choice and flexibility means that you can host your video content live or on demand on the main VoiceAmerica.tv channels through your own branded media player or your own private TV channel. We support multiple media formats, so all of your video content can be in one place. We offer a number of advertising and video packages. For more information, visit VoiceAmerica.tv. If you think you've seen online TV like this before, let us surprise you. Relationship issues? Anxious? Parenting challenges? No more. Learn how to live your best life. Tune into Straight Talk with top psychotherapist, relationship, and anxiety expert, Sandra Reich. In this program, you'll learn how to transform your challenges into effective solutions, whether it's relationships, parenting, anxiety issues, or other life traps that you struggle with. Sandra will show you how to change them and how to live the life of your dreams. Listen every Thursday afternoon at 6 p.m. Eastern Time and 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. Welcome back. I'm Cheryl Jones, and I've been talking with Anthony Marnisi about his book, Cross of a Different Kind, Cancer and Christian Spirituality. And um, what I'd like to uh, talk some about now, Anthony, is just, uh, you know, h- how your parents, your family navigated um, <clears throat> your cancer and how that might have supported you to go in the direction 
you went. Or, or of course, it could include ways that that you went a different direction. <laughs> I don't have any way to know. You didn't talk too much about that in the book. But um, how would you say they handled it? Well, Miss um, Cheryl, there are uh, a number of ways that I could go with this question, um, honestly. And, and I think it's best illustrated through um, just sort of looking at, sort of a, kind of like a, like a sample size based on my mother's side and my father's side. My, uh, my mother, um, God love her, is, is um, an extremely um, caring and, and loving woman. And Lord have mercy, both of my parents are worry warts. But it seems as if though my mom uh, kind of carries that worry a bit more, um, a bit more visibly in some cases. I can always kind of get the sense when uh, she's upset about something or, or unnerved by something a little bit. Um, and my dad actually can kind of better, um, you know, conceal or, or sort of put on, put on the front um, and, and keep a happy face amidst the worries or anxieties a little bit. And um, I think I, I like to think I've landed somewhere in the middle of both of them, but I, I have sort of compartmentalized and characterized um, my relationships between both of them and both of their sides um, in, in certain areas uh, that, that are greater gifts for them. For example, um, even going forward uh, in, in my life post-cancer, in my, in my new normal, so to speak, um, I often lean on my mother, my mother's side for uh, emotional support and for um, sort of um, alleviation from troubles or from anxieties. And from my father's side, uh, I sort of lean on um, perhaps practical direction, uh, insight that will sort of give me a more of a level head amidst the kind of emotional gumbo uh, that that sometimes crops up. Uh, I don't know if that um, perhaps I like that expression, simply, emotional gumbo. Yeah. <laughs> emotional gumbo, yes, ma'am. <laughs> um, and would you say that they relied on obviously, uh, or or maybe not obviously, um, out of those experiences for you came a pretty deep interest in your religion, in, you know, having a religious and spiritual perspective. Did that come from them as well? Were they religious? Did they depend on their faith to kind of help them out when they were going through what must be qualified as one of the more difficult things a person can go through having a having a sick child? Uh, what's actually quite um, funny, uh, I've, I've got that question a lot uh, before, especially when I've um, led workshops or, or talks or something like that. And um, they they often will, um, you know, if they were on the line, they would they would answer um, sort of in a, in a similar way. And it's kind of funny because uh, they're both um, spiritual and, and religious people, but the the depth to which um, they are and I am probably does have a little. A little bit of, of, of difference. Mine is probably a, a little more um, heady and sort of into the into the academic side. My father has kind of gone into the the you know sort of business and the um, more mathematical practical. My mother is the is the creative, and then 
uh, I'm sort of the empath, if you will. So uh, the, the feeling all of the things. Um, so that's, that's sort of a, where, it, where it falls between, between the two of them. But they definitely uh, were models of, of Christian spirituality uh, to me. And when I've told them actually how, how much they influenced my own sort of spiritual development and growth, um, they kind of look at me and, and look at each other as if as if to ask the question, uh, do what now? Like we actually did. Like how how was that possible? <laughs> so I think that they find it a little, I think they find it a little a little humorous that I give them um, that much credit that they don't even feel like they uh, that they deserve, but they absolutely do. My, they were they were rocks to me throughout it, uh, as were my. Um, uh, grandparents and and even cousins and friends um, who all sort of have modeled um, at least what I would consider the image and likeness of of God in in many ways to me. Well, I wonder if that intersects with uh, one of the uh, strong messages in your book, which is about uh, which is really about love. That at basis. Uh, receiving love as someone struggling and giving love, uh, you know, when you're able is kind of bedrock. It sounds as if you have had some of that in your own life to know what the meaning of it really is. Um, um, absolutely. I'd say so. Yes, ma'am. That's familiar to me because uh, during my wife's 10-year illness, we were cared for so beautifully by people given so much love it really changed my perspective um and influences my kids so they didn't have cancer but they lived with cancer for a very long time right next to cancer and i think it does influence their viewpoint so it's interesting sometimes you don't have to do anything in particular it's just living uh sends a message uh, and I think that's one hundred percent. Absolutely, that 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 love that people give and transmit um, often, you know, uh, it it rubs off. Not just uh, in the sense that uh, you know it's transmuted into the object or the person loved, um, but uh, not only. I mean, it, it does. It has healing properties and healing powers. Um, it, it truthfully does. And so, at some point, uh, you started becoming interested in. I think originally the intersection of spirituality and sports, which is an interesting field. Um, But I wonder if you connected when you, obviously when you write a book about cancer and spirituality, that's pretty directly connected to your early experience. But when you first started wanting to study uh, religion, you know, get, get more deeply analytical about religion, and then ultimately find work. Did you connect it with those early experiences of yours? Did you feel you might have been especially interested because of having been through cancer? Or did it, did it not seem connected at that point? Well, to be to be honest with you, uh, I I believe that that uh, we are products of our uh, experiences. We are um, only who we are at any given moment based on the things that we have um, gone through, for better or for worse, uh, in our in our past. So we are products of our past. So without a doubt, 
uh, for me, I know that my uh, experience with with uh, life-threatening illness at an early age has impacted um, my career field, my intellectual interests, my relationships with other people. And I think um, in a large way, my interest in sort of metaphysical things, uh, the things that um, exist, but we cannot necessarily see, or, um, but can only maybe sense, uh, mm-hmm. is, a, is a, uh, an absolute um, indicator of, of sort of the things that I've experienced at a young age um, and have been able to experience even at a young age. In, in one particular article that stands apart from, from the book, I um, kind of mentioned that individuals who kind of teeter at that in-between, uh, between life and, and the next life, or life and death, if you will, um, have sort of a, a special susceptibility to um, uh, things of, of the other side or things even of, of the of the supernatural, if you will. And so um, wanting to dig deeper into those things um, and, and to see, especially in my, my field of spirituality, so the way that persons um, intimately and personally relate to the divine beyond the perceptible senses, um, that's, that's 100% uh, why I've gotten into this, is because I, I was able to sort of see and sense and feel um, love and hope and faith and caring and compassion, things like that at, at such a young age. Yeah, very different than your peers, I imagine, which is a whole other thing um, that can sometimes really affect people who uh, have cancer young is being differentiated from the people who are your, in your age group. And I imagine that's, that's happened to an extent as well, yeah? Yes, ma'am, absolutely, 100%. Both, both plus and minus on that, I guess. Um, um, in, in many ways, I, I would say so. Yes, ma'am. Um, you know, obviously, there there are things that people may have experienced at early ages, especially in those those crucially developmental years. So like I said, I was a you know an active patient from age five to seven, and that's you know when a, a number of people learn you know valuable um, social skills and making friends or um, how to uh, just navigate certain social uh, situations as a child. And so um, I may have been you know a bit sort of slower to develop on in, in some of those areas, but uh, eventually caught up. Uh, so yes, ma'am, in, in, in those ways, there are um, sort of, you know, positives and negatives that kind of are taken together. Yeah. I, one thing I noticed with, with uh, my own kids uh, who grew up with an ill parent is that they, um, they're usually the first one to call when something bad happens for someone, and they're often the first one to be called, uh, you know, because they can, they don't run screaming, <laughs> you know, That's right. they're, they're able to sort of be with it in a way that some of their peers uh, are not. That's right. Uh, there is there is a certain sort of um, uh, conditioning that comes with uh, that comes with experiencing so much uh, of what many of us might might um, call negativity or something like that. I, I know that um, individuals have been markedly surprised when they've had to deliver bad news to me, and and I would sort of sit there and 
take a breath and then and then either respond with something like, oh, well, I could have seen that coming or, oh, well, that's that's, you know, that's all right. We're going to, you know, take it through this. Everybody else is a wreck. And then I'm kind of sitting there like, OK, all right. What do we do? Well, now? You know, let's I've, attack I've it been from, you know, worse, right? on its face. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, yes, ma'am. So I know that you work as a chaplain and I, I want to ask you to share a little piece from your book. That interested me because uh, it's something about uh, about Lent and um, what we give, what some people in their traditions give up for Lent. But it was such an interesting twist on it. Would you share that story? And then we'll be cutting to a break uh, pretty soon after that. Yes, ma'am. I'd be glad to. So this um, this story that you're referring to actually comes from. Uh, part two of the book uh, in chapter 10, which is actually the namesake chapter of the entire book. Uh, the chapter is called Cross of a Different Kind, and so is the book. Uh, and we're actually, it's this providential that, you, that uh, you've asked about this, because for um, uh, many of the Christian denominations or Christian confessions, we're actually in the season of Lent now, uh, and we kind of talk about that um, in this. And so, um, you know, many Christian confessions believe in uh, communion or the, the Eucharist. Um, I come from a Catholic tradition, so uh, the Eucharist is the word that we uh, use. That's um, a belief in receiving the, um, the sacramental body and blood of, of Christ. And so uh, when you hear that word, that's what's going on. Um, it reads, when I entered her room that afternoon to give her the Eucharist and a blessing. This is a, a cancer patient that I worked with. I found her experiencing... And she was 17, si- is that correct? This particular uh, yes, person? Ma'am. She was only 17 years old at the time. Yeah. That's correct, this patient. Um, when I uh, entered the room and found her experiencing the typical chemotherapy-associated nausea, so much so that she excused herself for a moment from my presence to throw up in hopes that if she got it out of the way, she could receive the Eucharist without also throwing it back up. Emerging from the restroom, she declined the sacrament for the day, but asked instead if she could simply receive a blessing. Understanding her wishes, I happily obliged. After praying over and with her, she asked if I had a few moments to simply talk while her mother was attempting to get some much-needed rest in the adjoining parent room, and so I agreed. Without missing a beat, she said, Remember last time you saw me and I asked you about why I should have to give up any more than what the tumor has already made me? Amazed myself that she remembered or would even care, I said, I do, and I think, and then she stopped me. I think I figured it out. Well, for me at least, she said. Here were her stunning words. So it's Lent, and you mentioned the stuff about self-denial. I guess I could at least try to deny myself the satisfaction of being a jerk about all this. I mean, it's nobody's fault. Nobody gave me cancer. Sometimes it may be hard for me to want to smile, like when you heard me throwing up earlier. I was embarrassed, and I could have asked you to leave. I still don't feel great, but here we are. I still remember those words of hers just as clearly as I write these down today, as if I had just spoken with her. When I left her room that day, they lingered with me too. Her attitude and outlook changed me and my entire ministerial approach for the better. I'm so grateful to have encountered this patient, and all my patients for that matter. While cancer can sometimes make us feel bitter, mean-spirited, or even resentful, we still possess the power of choice to say no to these emotions. 
that sort of no can not only free us from being hurtful to those who are usually only trying to be helpful to us in comfort amidst treatment, but it also frees us to replace and enjoy contentment over resentment, kind-heartedness over mean-spiritedness, and cheerfulness over bitterness. These attitudes in the process will likely help to cultivate not only more joy in the midst of suffering, but also a deeper and more fruitful spiritual maturity. I, I love that idea that you could give up, uh, you know, some kind of bitterness or or, or anger uh, with the one caution that we have to make, make sure we get to feel it, but <laughs> we don't have to continue. Absolutely. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll be back in a few minutes. It's time for another break. And you can find me again at the Good Grief Host page or my website, weatheringgrief.com. You can find Anthony Maranisi at maranisi.wixsite.com slash AMJM or his Twitter address at A Maranisi. Back after the break. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Ready to transform your health and your world? Join host Melissa Alexander for Insight Living with Vitality. Melissa and her guests go behind the scenes on what it takes for practitioners and clients to transform themselves and others. She provides insight to medical procedural breakthroughs, available product resources, and explains lifestyle choices designed to improve and expand your vitality. It's time to get rid of that baggage, remove those blockages, and prevent buildup from hindering your progress in life. Tune in every Monday at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Healthcare has been a major part of news stories today with one thing that has been consistent, inconsistency. Both healthcare providers and patients have to work around and get used to a constantly changing set of rules and issues. Nurses have historically been left out of this decision making. Listen to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, exploring the world of nursing with host Leanne Meyer. Health professionals, we invite you to share your ideas and experiences while listening to experts in various areas of nursing. Listen Mondays at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Health and Wellness. Explore the power of natural healing with Howard Strauss. Join us each week for an informative program that will help you learn effective healing methods using natural remedies. Howard's guests include top researchers, authors, and experts who will share their views on a variety of natural products and healing methods that really work. Tune in to The Power of Natural Healing with Howard Strauss, Mondays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network wherever you go. In addition to listening live, you can check out information about your favorite talk show hosts, discover new talk show personalities, add shows to your list of favorites, and listen to all of our show archives on demand. All from your iOS, Amazon Kindle, or Android device. Download it from the Apple App Store, Amazon, or Google Play, and get ready to tune in. The Voice America mobile app, powered by Aircast. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. 
To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. Welcome back to Good Grief. I'm here with Anthony Marinisi talking about his book, Cross of a Different Kind. And before the break, Anthony, we were we were talking uh, most primarily about uh, this idea of, um, you know, in, in the specific case of the reading right before the break, talking about the idea that one thing you could give up uh, if you're... Uh, in a Christian faith that gives up things for Lent. I happen to be in a gospel choir. There are lots of people in my choir that do that. It's an interfaith choir. Uh, so some people don't because <laughs> it's not their faith. But um, the idea that you could uh, actually, uh, I don't know, refrain from harsh words or, you know, that it could be more of an emotionally based thing is very intriguing to me. Absolutely. Yes, ma'am. And, and I actually even, um, you know, long ago quit quit giving up things for Lent. So I'm actually more proactive. I do things, uh, you know, during during my Lenten journey. Uh, so there's a lot of, you know, sort of sp- spiritual flexibility um, with that. But yeah, I mean, in the in the case of the the um, uh, young 17 year old cancer patient that I worked with. Yeah, she she chose the opportunity to um, deny herself. Uh, the satisfaction that comes from sort of being resentful about her cancer or being bitter or mean-spirited and instead replace those with um, attitudes of contentment and um, kind-heartedness, uh, empathy, cheerfulness, things like that. So that was definitely a, an effort in spiritual maturity for her. And I'm sure that, that her her family and everyone around her were very grateful about that. <laughs> you know. Oh, I have no idea or no, no, no <laughs> idea. Listen to me. No doubt that her nurses and her family were, were really thrilled at her new sort of lease on life, to be honest with you. That's, um, that's for sure. Yeah. I didn't want to let you get away without talking a little bit about um, something that is not limited to uh Christian face at all. It's kind of uh, common in all different spiritual points of view, which is kind of ways that some spiritual perspectives or some interpretations to me seem to sometimes sort of blame the victim. Uh, If only you'd prayed well enough, if only you had lived a better life, if only, if only you would not have gotten cancer had someone die, um, you know, uh, in other words, it's your fault. And and you're, you do not come from that point of view at all. Um, but I liked the way in which you talked about no matter what, what our faults are, us being, you know, loved and... Um, and that it's really about how we deal with it. But I wonder if you could talk, address that a bit, because I can't tell you how many times uh, people have had things said to ha- to them that refer to that idea that they're somehow to blame. 
Certainly. Um, that's, that's, that whole blame game and, and there being some sort of, um, you know, sinister, uh, spiritual punishment, things like that. This is, this is, um, one of the, uh, I suppose greater impediments to um, sincere spiritual growth that, that many of us, um, spiritual directors, pastoral counselors, things like that, uh, especially chaplains, have to, have to encounter. Um, it's, it's all, uh, for lack of a better, a better expression, like I'm in Great Britain today, it's all hogwash uh, to, to ever assert that a being that uh, theologians, especially of a Christian persuasion, or any of the monotheistic traditions, actually, even Islam and Judaism, believe to be all good or all loving, would ever inflict a punishment on someone for a shortcoming. So we, we don't, um, you know, believe or, or express the spiritual idea that, that anyone is afflicted with cancer or afflicted with natural disasters or anything like that because of of shortcomings that that again is a is a um, an anti or a non-christian uh sincerely christian viewpoint um so certainly that's not something that we would ever um want to foster in belief and something something that i never wanted to touch in the book and so i actually set out to disabuse people uh of that of that idea so that um that's certainly not something that we ever want to want to look at or touch upon because the the reality is uh, at least from the the theological conceptions is that um you know god is not a being that that punishes um god is a being that is um pure pure love and compassion uh rather than um you know a divine judge who's going to sentence us to some sort of um, uh, uh, correction or, or punishment or something. I guess you know it's it's a human uh, tendency to find fault, <laughs> but I just thought Certainly. it was worth uh, reasserting that that is not actually uh, a very Christ- Christian principle. Oh, it's uh, not one at all. Uh, that's that's certainly not. We we absolutely um, don't believe that that any uh, you know natural or or even even uh, morally reprehensible circumstances in the cases wherein uh, people have been you know harmed or or maimed in in certain ways by other people. Um, these are not you know things that anyone should ever ascribe to uh, to uh, you know the divine or anything like that, uh, especially. Um, uh, from from a uh, perspective of, of a believer in, in those sorts of things, and, and definitely not something that I would ever um, subscribe to uh, in, in any way, shape, or form. Although I have had patients ask me, um, you know, if they if they believed that they were um, given cancer because of something that was generationally done, like maybe like, you know the whole sins of the father, the sins of the son, sort of thing, and that's. That's not true at all either. Um, that's that's that whole generational curse matter um, is 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 also just not <laughs> consistent with with a with a positive spirituality. One thing that I do uh, believe is that it's sometimes a little easier for us to imagine that there's a cause or a reason than to come to terms with the fact that life is unpredictable and things happen that we cannot totally prevent. 
it, it happens in grief all the time that people will, their first stop is guilt that they didn't do something right or, you know, <laughs> uh, what if only I'd done blank. Uh, and, and I think in a way that's sometimes more imaginable than uh, it just happened and I had nothing to say about it. So I, I wonder if that isn't connected a bit. Of course. I mean, I think that's, that's um, a, a fully natural sort of human thing. We, we often will, will kind of default to um, finding an answer where sometimes answers just don't exist because that's right. the way that we are programmed to, to um, uh, cognitively react. So I, uh, this is a, li- a little bit of a, of a uh, sideways turn. But I did want to have you share the piece of writing just because I think people would find it uh, comforting who are, uh, you know, facing cancer uh, to read some of, you know, the, the part about the new normal, uh, maybe a little bit, uh, uh, maybe just a couple of paragraphs of it because we are almost almost out of time. Certainly. Yes, ma'am. Absolutely. Um, so. Uh, one of the pieces that I want to I want to share here. This is from chapter 13, which is in the third part of the book. It's on survivor spirituality, and um, you so rightly already mentioned the chapter uh, title, which is called the New Normal. Actually, um, so I just uh, will begin here. My reason for mentioning uh, much of what I have throughout not only this episode but throughout the book isn't to garner sympathy from readers, but to mention the importance of understanding that there's so much more involved in one's normal life after cancer, of which so many others are alarmingly unaware. Uh, There's a term called holistic wellness, and it refers to the four dimensions which comprise our wellness as human persons, our physicality, emotionality, intellectuality, and our spirituality. And should any of these dimensional areas of our life and personality be left off kilter, as a result of our cancer experiences, sure, we can try to correct them if we choose, but we also may be unable to always correct them fully. And in such cases, um, it is incumbent upon those who love us, whether that be our significant others, our friends, or our family, to accept and still love us as they always have, if not even more so. It's, it's incumbent upon them to understand that they are now dealing with a person who has been, to use a theological term, ontologically changed, that is, changed as a whole. Uh, The experience actually does reorient the human person uh, into a way that they must adjust to life on the other side of cancer. They must learn to live a new normal. And so when we consider the vast number of cancers that exist, as well as the wide array of human personalities, we add to the multidimensional facets of each human person, considering those four areas that I mentioned, physicality, emotionality, intellectuality, and spirituality, we can come to see that our adjustments to the new normal of life after cancer need to be met with not only patience from others, but patience with self, as well as the compassionate, intentioned actions of those who care for us. Uh, as well as, of course, I might add, continual recollection upon uh, the providence of the divine. And so that that last, uh, people have a lot of different things they rest in, but having something to rest in, I've found, is an incredibly helpful 
you know, one of the 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 indices of post traumatic growth is actually a deepening or change in spirituality, uh, whatever Certainly. that means to the the individual person. So, uh, I think that's a good place to end. Thanks for being with me, Anthony. Oh, it was my pleasure, Miss Cheryl. Thank you for having me on. It's been a joy. Great, and for me too. And uh, just. Remember that you can all go find Anthony if you want to know more about his work at Amor. <laughs> sorry, A. I am not reading this right at all. I'm going to send you to his Twitter, which is at A. Amoris. Could you say it, please, Anthony? Yes, I'm ma'am. Absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter or find me there at A. Marinese or A. Marinese, however you choose to pronounce it. It's at A M A R A N I S E. I did fine to the end. <laughs> Next week, I'll have Sean Perry. Sean's one of the founders of We Are Hope, an organization that coaches children and teens about how to handle their emotions effectively. This has been Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. I look forward to being with you again next week for another meaningful conversation. Thank you so much for joining us for Good Grief. Please come back next Wednesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time for another edition featuring your host, Cheryl Jones, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a meaningful week. Abre mi corazón.